for a good time. For a good time. For a good time. For a good time. All that and more on today's discussion of Barbara Hammer's Nitrate Kisses. I am Isabel Arf, one of your hosts of this podcast, this wonderful podcast we call For a Good Time. That was not the best intro, but we're going to go with it. Uh, and who are you, Juan? <laughs> and I'm Juan Barkeen, uh, your other host who is deeply entertained by this introduction so far. Um, and what do we watch today? Why do we watch it? It was your choice. I want to hear from you what this movie is. Um, so this is a movie that I actually saw on, uh, 16 millimeter, like with a restored print from, I believe the UCLA in 2018. Uh, it's called Nitrate Kisses. It's a Barbara Hammer film. And this is where we start getting into, (laughs) I like how it's the second episode and somehow I've already started (laughs) getting into like not strictly pornography. Um, but so Nitrate Kisses is a documentary that is sort of a mixture of like queer history and like exploring both queer cinematic history and queer oral history and like representation and what it means to like lose your history because of like destruction and like people being opposed to your literal existence while also quite literally putting like queer bodies on screen having sex and kissing and engaging in all of these wonderful acts that make us queer so yeah that's that's yeah, barbara Hammer's i agree that, that's, that sounds about right <laughs> it's hard to like so describe. so why, why did you choose this like like this was your first choice for this whole thing and i'd never seen it before but you had uh what about this film made you and you, you you already said yourself it's not strictly porn what made you want to bring this so early in the podcast so i think uh one of the things that i find so interesting about like the history of cinema is just the way that I mean, bodies are represented throughout. Obviously, I think the most memorable thing that I... I mean, like, I've only seen this movie twice, uh, but the thing that stood out to me the first time I saw it was there's this set piece in, like, the center of the film that's of two men in an interracial couple who are, like, engaging this, like, lovely sexual act, and it's a close-up on, like the black partner grinding his dick against the white partner's ass and slowly but surely they start scrolling the entirety of the haze code um over their bodies grinding together and it was just this such a powerful image to me of like like fuck the haze code like we're going to show you queerness we're going to show you sexuality we're going to show you interracial romance we're going to show you everything that they told you that you aren't allowed to see in cinema in this exact moment and i was just blown away by it in a way that like yes it's technically pornographic to an extent but like it's like it's what cinema should be and that was why i was like okay this is going to be a really interesting film to just like talk about to start things off yeah i'm i totally agree i was i found this film fascinating if there's if the only complaint i have is actually there's so much in it yeah that like uh there's parts of the film that really reminded me of uh marlon riggs are you familiar with, with riggs yes absolutely yeah um and it reminded me of his own films he was a black gay man and hid uh films uh about both black experience in america and specifically the black gay experience in america and the ways in which those things 
um conflict and like it like the the black community doesn't like you because you're gay the gay community doesn't like you because you're black uh and really and he would have like whole hour-long films about just that one subject whereas in metroid kisses there's so many things happening so quick that we're gonna have to talk about that i kind of want more time to unpack that's fair and i do think that's like a very legitimate claim i can you can almost break it up into like like obviously, like you get something There's like, like, kind of like three parts of it. Yeah, and you get something like Marlon Riggs's, uh, like Tongues Untied, is just like a very specific thing, and this is almost like having like three of those films back to back. Yes. Yeah. Um. So I guess should we tackle it by like each by block? Section, I guess. <laughs> I mean, like, like there, there's like the first thing I want to talk about is the overriding theme of the thing that I thought was so fascinating and so. And this actually comes on with a different thing that I was saying about the movie. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of like things that will combine <laughs> of when we're talking about this. But um, is this idea of the transformation of idea of queerness over time and what that means and what your sexuality means and what your sexual identity means and how that is so defined by context and place and history of a thing that it reminded me of two different things, I guess. Mm-hmm. One is that I find that incredible uh, and that's a very postmodern reading. Uh, it's like. Uh, Derrida would love that reading or there's a there's a Foucault quote in the film so obviously there the post-structuralists is. were on the mind of Barbara Hammer mm-hmm. um, so that's a big part of it that I found really fascinating and something that I've I've thought about a lot but I also think about it a lot when I think about uh, and this is going to combine with another thing I want to talk about sorry there's like so much is please do <laughs> in so much of modern queer discourse especially among younger people mm-hmm. uh, people maybe like our age or younger there seems to be this lack of knowledge about the history of uh queer people in america and part of that is on purpose i mean i think like this this film lays out that part of that was clearly on purpose like removing people from history yeah absolutely was part of the whole way to keep them oppressed to keep them uh in their social station and to define for them what is correct but there's the one thing is the fact that i didn't i knew that these ideas existed at this time period but i didn't expect them to be so outward and forward this idea of the variability of sex and the, like the mu- the mutability of sex and the mutability of gender and sexual representation and sexual uh, attraction mm-hmm. and the fact that uh, there's a character who not a character a person there's a person in this movie who talks about like well the way we conceptualize of it is like there's straight people and there's uh gay people but that's not really a complete picture or not even if you include bi people there's so many different ways to conceptualize of one's sexual identity um that's I always get annoyed. And this is this is me getting on my high horse. So Please I always do. get annoyed when I see um, younger queer people try to apply the standards of modern queerness to older generations. Not in terms of like, hey, older generations shouldn't be shitty. That That's fair. But in terms <laughs> of like trying to apply certain terminology that wouldn't have been applicable back then or didn't exist back then or meant something very different back then. Like, I remember seeing someone once uh, get mad at um marcia johnson mm-hmm. for calling herself a transsexual or a transvestite <sighs> instead of just... a transgender <laughs> and it's like well you're really not paying attention to what these words actually meant at the time and how they were used and the fact that the idea of transness in general like this film doesn't explicitly talk about it but it touches on it so often mm-hmm. uh when you talk about uh like butch people in the past butch lesbians in the past so much of that we would now consider it to be a trans experience. But that language wasn't there and that way of conceptualizing of it wasn't there. So it's not really fair to throw labels on someone from the past. Like, oh, this person was incorrect about their identity, which is what I see happen a lot of times. 
uh, from younger queer people. Yeah. And this film puts such a effort into that contextualization, into letting people tell their own stories of how they identified and how they identified, how that identity meant something to them and what it meant in the cultural context of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, like in this film, it is not seen as a contradiction that a uh, there's a butch lesbian uh, early on who talks about not liking her breasts and like not wishing she didn't have them and um what is it called uh binding essentially mm-hmm. and today we would conceptualize of that in a very different way than we did back then but she's allowed to just exist in this butch lesbianism without that being interrogated in these other ways because it's not the way that she interrogates it and i thought that was so illuminating and so fascinating that I kind of want to show this to like every young queer person and be like, hey, there's different ways to conceptualize these things. Don't pretend that your way that is the way now is the only way to do things. And don't and at least look at where someone's coming from before you say their terms are like outdated or their terms are not correct. I guess. Yeah. And there's such a like what's so interesting about what Barbara Hammer does with this is there's such a genuine curiosity to queer history and just exploring like what that means to such a variety of people and you get i mean it it doesn't feel the need to like box it into something at all and it's very like i don't want to say it's academic but it is it is a very academic movie about sort of exploring this like middle ground between queer erasure versus queer representation and like i mean what you're saying about like younger queer people is something that like really sticks out to me and it's not even just younger queer people it's like just like a lot of modern media has kind of forced people to think that i get my my like fancy like marxist hat on oh my god (laughs) um which i'm gonna do from occasion (laughs) i mean you should uh (laughs) is uh the i think the reason that happens so often and the reason that modern cultural presentations want to present this defined idea of what it means to be gay of what it means to be trans of what it means to be a lesbian is because that definition allows it to be sold allows it to be marketed and it's like hey we have a gay character here, you can buy this thing now. Aren't you happy that we did the thing for you? You should be grateful to us because this is know. what gayness is and this is how you define it. And we can I sell it to it. you now. Conceptually, I get it. But also, yes, it I understand where, where that urge comes from yeah. because <laughs> you're like, oh God, I just want to see myself in something. But this film is so much richer because it's, it, you can't sell this film commercially. Like, this yeah. film does not have commercial potential. You can't sell these identities because these identities are so particular and so specific. Exactly. And it really just has such a, like, I mean, so, I mean, I'm going to bring up Brian Murphy's Hollywood because I hate myself and I sat <laughs> through all of it and I feel like I definitely need some point to complain about it. And this seems like the ideal point. But, like, just the, like, just to go back to that scene of the Hayes Code being, like, layered over the images of, like, interracial gay sex is, like, it's this acknowledgement of our history and like how much we've actually struggled to get these images on screen while giving us the fantasy of that being on the screen. And what frustrates me so much about Hollywood is it ignores the reality of what history was for all of these like queer people, people of color. And it's just, it's so frustrating to see people like, okay, well, like, no, it's good because it's representation. No, it's not. You're not engaging with actual history. You're seeing these real human beings turned into awful caricatures of themselves versus nitrate kisses where like, you are literally like the whole movie is soundtracked by a bunch of different like blues music that's like by queer people and with queer lyrics. And it's just so interesting to see how 
the whole thing is just this huge mishmash of historical documents that feels cohesive, even though it's just pulling from all sorts of aspects of queerness from like all sorts of different countries. <laughs> yeah. And seeing the, the multifarious nature of this queerness yeah, and something when you talk about Hollywood that I, I haven't seen the, the show, but based off of other Brian Murphy uh, or Ryan Murphy that I've seen, I'm going to take a wild guess and make a claim. Tell me if I'm correct or not. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the reasons some of Ryan Murphy's other shows, and I think the perspective on old Hollywood as it relates to queerness in general always annoys me from a contemporary perspective, mm-hmm. is people act like subtext and coding is bad and is something we should be regretting mm-hmm. uh, and is uh, not something to be respected and looked at as its own form of queerness. Which is, is that yes. accurate? I would say yes. And like... I mean, I think he has a very skewed perception of, like, what camp is and, like, what, like, artifice and, like, presenting as, like, mask and femme is. And, like, I think, I mean, you bringing up, like, coding is, like, it's essential to this movie because you are being told this, like, oral history of, like, what queer life was. And the reality is, like, queer life was being queer coded for a long time it's performance everything we do is performance it's this idea of like like we are marginalized so how do we get our existence out there without being (laughs) caught yeah and i think that's it's something i've actually heard from um older uh lesbians actually Mm -hmm. quite a bit uh is and they will often admit that this is kind of a silly thing to be mad at but i also understand why they're they get upset about it is the fact that Things that were traditionally queer-coded became such a part of the mainstream that it was no longer easy to tell from a glance who was gay and who wasn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm not saying that's a good thing, obviously. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying that queer-coding is necessarily, quote-unquote, a good thing. Yeah, of But uh, because obviously that does imply that there has to be things subsumed under the surface. There has to be, like, a level of oppression required before you have to code things. Mm-hmm. Um, but when we act like that's not happening... We act like that's, or we act like that's something to be ashamed of. We lose a lot of the texture of queer communities and queer culture. That I think, like, you don't have to fit the traditional definition of what a lesbian looks like to be a lesbian. But I think the fact that definition exists in people's minds is also useful. Yeah, because it allows a certain unity of, ident- of identity. And like, you can see it even on Twitter nowadays. And how many jokes are there about like oh lesbians do x y and z or trans people do x y and z bottoms do x y and z and it is like such a common thing and i think it comes from this need for people to feel identified as part of a group and some of the most fascinating things about this movie that i found was the ways it discusses having words for things Mm -hmm. as being incredibly important to be able to conceptualize yourself as those things like the idea of having like an idea of what a lesbian even is or what a gay man is. Yeah. Uh, having that terminology allows oneself to be able to begin to think of themselves in those terms and to realize that they are not the only one who feels a certain way. Uh, what I thought of immediately uh, watching parts of the film, uh, and this is a personal anecdote, so I apologize. But oh, please, I love hearing personal anecdotes. Is uh, and part of this is going to be a bummer, part of it's going to be good. So um, <laughs> as a trans woman, uh, when I was growing up, uh, can you name the one place that I saw trans women in? Ooh, that's... I mean, like, outside of pornography? Hint, it wasn't good. Oh. Um... I, I mean, like, like really young. Like, like, up until I was, like, 12 or 13. 
<laughs> it's like my brain immediately was like crying game, but no. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I just assume like any movie in which you get murdered. Uh, it was actually the opposite. It was Sons of the Lambs. Oh, well, yeah, that makes a lot of sense, actually. Yes. Yeah. It was Sons of the Lambs. And also because my mom loved true crime shows, uh, it was true crime shows. Oh and God. that's where you hear, like, that's all I heard, like, until I was, like, 12 or 13. And actually, until I was, like, 14. It was for a long time. Where all I heard was, like, hey, men who wear women's underwear are murderers. Jesus. And, like, will literally kill people. And that I don't mean to say that to, like, blame my parents. No, I was just, course. like, what was on the media. It's like, they just... didn't even, I mean, they didn't even think of that kind of thing. Yeah. No one thought of that kind of thing in the 90s. But I didn't have this language. So, like, when I had feelings, like, I had feelings from, like, when I was, like, five. Like, oh, I'm, I should be a girl. That's, like, how I should be. Um, but that was just a feeling I had. And I was like, well, that's fucked up because all these fucked up people, that's what they thought. And clearly I'm in the wrong. And funny enough, the thing that kind of set me off on my trans journey, I guess, is, um, there was this special, I think I'm like 60 minutes or something like that about trans kids. And then it was the first time I heard the word transgender used in that sense, Mm -hmm. uh, instead of just, Hey, this criminal was transgender. (laughs) Um, and it was the first time I heard that word used, and it was the first time I heard that word used for people who were clearly just kids, who were just innocents, mm-hmm. and, like, hadn't done anything wrong, and it's just the way they felt. And it, that was what began to get the wheels turning for me to think, oh, this is not an unusual thing. This is not something that I'm alone in, and yeah. is a thing that has positive aspects, and it's not just this evil thing that I heard it was. Mm-hmm. And I think some of the most interesting moments of this film are the ways it talks about how important queer history is from that standpoint so people know what it was a what it is to be queer now because we can get insight from history mm-hmm. and be what it was to be queer in the past what it was to be a lesbian in the past so that we can begin to conceptualize ourselves in those terms yeah and i do like there's i mean the whole movie is all about how important history is and it's this idea of like like in death we lose our history unless it's written unless it's told unless it's actually like I mean, the whole third section of this movie is all about, like, queer women in Berlin and how, like, they're, like, persecuted. And it's, I mean, like, one of the one of the people that it talks about is um, Claire Waldorf. And it's, like, everyone who is introduced in the movie, the film kind of edges you into, like, find out more about them. And it's, like, like I don't want to say it's, like, you know, like, an intro to these people, but it kind of is. Like, you know, like, with, like, Waldorf, it's, like, okay, well, I just went on to um what's it called wikipedia and i was like okay let me find out more about this woman and it's like she's this like queer woman who lived with her partner in like the 20s through the 60s like joseph goebbels tried banning her from like performing because she was like not a traditional woman she was like a queer cabaret performer she performed with marlene dietrich like it's there's such a rich history that you're being introduced to in this movie and it's like it's so fascinating to see how like queerness has persisted despite being torn down and it's really heartbreaking to see like like a lot of just like these like trash destroyed books and like the covers of like lesbian pulp fiction and like these buildings in berlin that were literally like just like broken down because we are losing who we are but at least there's somebody trying to preserve it and introduce us and remind us that like queerness is ever changing and ever evolving and just a beautiful thing yeah and i think something this that becomes poignant now watching this that maybe they didn't realize at the time mm-hmm. or maybe they did this was purposeful but uh obviously the film was made kind of during the height of the aids epidemic 
Yeah. And that is such a omnipresent part of the film. And I was struck by it watching it now, the fact that so much of that history has been lost and it was also ignored by younger queer people. Like how many younger queer people know someone who has AIDS? I do, but yeah. like most people don't. And I think that that's like, People forget, I mean, like, like, and I feel like I'm just bashing on younger queer people today because I have a lot of problems with them, and that's a community that I'm a part of, so it's easier for me to make critiques of because I'm there all the time. I get it, same. And it feels more fair to make critiques of it because I'm there, and I'm part of it, Mm -hmm. but one thing that I think is important to remember is the importance of these elders and the importance of these people's stories and the importance of stories that of people that didn't get to live any longer, and the fact that there was essentially a totally sanctioned genocide against gay people because they didn't know like that it affected straight people and the government didn't give a shit is a thing that's kind of swept over in a lot of like modern queer discourse and it's disturbing in a way and i think films like this by reuniting us with that history and by reuniting us with the fact that this history has been destroyed before and that it's important to preserve it and that we can't forget these things is a really good antidote against that kind of outlook yeah, and like you can tell with, like I mean, and not not just because I have like Barbara Hammer's book itself, but like you can tell that her whole purpose in conceiving this project was to create like a record of these things. However, like not full it is. However, like limited it can be because of the fact that like you know. There's only so much you can say I mean, how many times are you going to get the chance to make this film, too? Yeah, exactly. And it's like, like she was saying in the book, and like I'll just like quote a passage from her, because I just think it's so interesting. Um, so there's a section in her book where she talks about filming in East Berlin, and she says, I visited the reconstruction of a famous bar on Mulakstrasse in the basement of a home-slash-museum of Charlotte von Malsdorf, a wonderful old transvestite. There, I found photographs of the lesbians, prostitutes, and Jews who, as outcasts from the German regime, gathered together. And it's like, like tying that, like, like how often do you actually see, like when, like when you have like the Holocaust depicted, like you don't actually get that many stories about like queer people in that era, because like, and if you do, it's like all like excessively melodramatic um yeah <laughs> which is i mean that's what happens with the it's, holocaust it's, generally it's queer movie of the week bullshit yeah and it's like like she talks about like these are images um that could be censored today by some lesbian communities as well as the public by large you know there's some forms of gay and lesbian love making which i feared could be censored by our own communities and lost to history the women who prefer leather who pierce and tattoo old lesbians in their 60s and 70s these people and their sexualities inform our lives today and must remain in our history tomorrow. And I think, like, that's what I think is so exciting about the three, I guess, central sex scenes of the movie. The first one, it's, like, these older women, and it's, like, they're marginalized. Like, like queer people are already marginalized. Older queer people are, like, even further marginalized. And it's so exciting to yeah. see a movie that's, like we are going to focus and like the gaze of the camera is going to be all on like, look at them smiling, look at their wrinkles, look at them experiencing pleasure. And it is kind of like this idea of like seeing yourself in something is pleasurable, but also just being with each other is its own form of pleasure. And then you have like an interracial sex scene contrasted against the Hayes Code. And then the last one is like, what she was saying about like these tattoos, piercings, like this intergenerational visibility. Yeah. And I mean, 
two big things like one immediately uh you reading that passage the immediate thing i thought of was people who want to ban like leather at pride yeah and it's like motherfucker like do you not know the history of this do you not know how important this is like that there there's a context here that you're completely ignoring like we if we get rid of these things we are on the way to getting rid of everything else like i don't it's it's wonderful that there are some gay people who want gay people and trans people and lesbians who want to be socially acceptable in a traditional sense sure that's your thing sure go for it for some people 100 percent, i get it like some people want to be the (laughs) the secretary of defense and like you know get your fucker (laughs) some people want to be pete Buttigieg. like i get it yeah god um but and i think (laughs) There is a feeling among the people to judges of the world that people like me, who are polyamorous, who are openly trans, not trying to pass, who are very explicitly into kink and like all that entails, uh, he doesn't want me around. And because it embarrasses him, because it makes him look bad, he thinks. And uh, I mean, that's, that's the main thing I thought about when you were reading that passage. I thought there was like the fact that there was these same arguments even before lesbian assimilation had really happened like obviously there's still it's not to say that there is not homophobia still in america right now but to say there's such a huge difference between the early 90s and now in depictions and portrayals of lesbianism and cultural perception so that was one thing but then the other thing was also just mentioning that that filming technique the fact that they feel so text like textural Mm -hmm. and alive like you pointed out i was literally going to point out if you didn't the wrinkles the fact that hey we're focusing on people's wrinkles and because those are also beautiful those are all things worse those are things worth preserving exactly those are things that we should care about and we shouldn't just shut this off to the side because we don't like it or we find it embarrassing or we find it quote-unquote gross or whatever you might feel like yeah and it's actually really exciting to see your film from last time paired with this film just because they're, I mean, they're both like black and white. I mean, some of it was sepia for uh, ecstasy in Berlin, but like it's these two, two ways of creating a very text textural sexuality on screen that are so different but equally effective. Yeah, and I think it's one of the things I really look for both in pornography as a whole. If we're getting back to the concept of this podcast, it's something I definitely look for in pornography and also something I see far more often in queer forms of pornography. I think it's just, it's just delightful. I mean, I, I love this film. It was great. Yeah, same. <laughs> um, I have one totally miscellaneous thing that might not go anywhere, but I just want to bring it up just so it. I can get it off my head. <laughs> one thing that I was kind of fascinated by, uh, it, it brought an immediate parallel to my head was there's a scene uh, in that uh, early bit between the two older women where there's a focus on the feet for a second and like mm-hmm. uh, massaging the feet and touching the feet. And funny enough, my immediate response, my immediate go-to was the uh, Samuel R. Delaney book, Hog. I don't know if you've mm-hmm. read it. <laughs> I haven't. Samuel R. Delaney, for those who don't know, and we're definitely going to talk about him in the future because I love him and also he's wonderful. Uh, and also he wrote porn. Uh, he was a science fiction writer who was also black and gay, uh, or he is, he's still alive. Uh, and during like the 50s and 60s was the main time he was writing, 50s, 60s, and 70s. And uh, the book Hog was written immediately before the Stonewall uh, riots. And he's mm-hmm. expressed it and it has been expressed by critics as a like scream of like gay rage and rage at societal uh, ideas of what is proper and what is good. Mm-hmm. And there's a, the main character in it is a child who is a prostitute. And uh, hey, I should hey pre warning just real quick. If you are thinking about reading Hog, 
Um, don't unless you're very, very prepared for lots and lots of sexual violence and physical violence. I just want to put that out there. So if in case anyone is thinking about it, like I'm not squeamish and even it was difficult for me. So just be aware that's a thing. But, um, so this main character, the thing that he comes back to often that I found so evocative and so strangely moving was that he likes chewing on the bottoms of people's feet. And that's like the thing that's constantly described whenever he has sex. And I just found that like an interesting parallel. And I think that there's an aspect of it where once a certain amount of sexual propriety or sexual assumptions have been breached, once you're not doing missionary straight sex, I think it becomes easier to sexualize other things and to mm-hmm. become more interested in sex in general. And I think that's possibly where I'm going with this. I might just be having a wild hair at my ass and might have compared two things that have no relation to each other, but I just found it very striking. No, I think it makes sense. And it ties into this idea of like what, how the gaze kind of shifts in like queerness versus like heteronormative relationships like i mean and they do talk about the gays and like this idea of like staring at each other and desire and like flirtation and i do think there is like an inherent eroticism to different parts of the body that like only like i don't want to say like only queer people understand how to do this because it's not necessarily (laughs) that Um, like I know like there's some straight filmmakers who do like excellent jobs at depicting these things. Um, but like, Like I do love Tarantino's foot shots. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Um, but like, there's something that like is inherently erotic about like, like even just like a hand, like trailing against something. Like you look at something like bound and like bounds focus on hands. And this is like, obviously like, uh, Lillian Lala Wachowski's bound. Um, you look at their focus on hands and it's, it is just so so exciting to see just like how erotic a finger can be and i like it even if it's not penetrating anything it's like it it, fingers are hot and like it extends to (laughs) feet sometimes like feet can be hot i'm not personally into them but like i've slept with men who like are really into feet and like put their feet or put my feet in their mouth and i'm like you know like if it gets you off like that's cool um i think it's a little ticklish but like you know (laughs) i'm glad you're like I'm glad you find something erotic about that part of my body. <laughs> um, but yeah, this movie is fucking phenomenal. I love Barbara Hammer. I mean, if you like anyone who's listening to this, you should absolutely try to seek out her short films as well. Um, this one, uh, Nitrate Kisses, is, I think, her only feature length film. I might be wrong. Um, wow, that's I sound like a terrible expert. Um but uh, you can buy it on her website. She actually passed away last year, unfortunately. Um, but all of her work is varying levels of accessible online. And uh, I, like I said, I believe the U- UCLA restored a lot of uh, prints of her films on 16 uh, and has them, I think, available for distribution, but I'm not sure. So who knows? Find out. And you can find this on her website for purchase. And you can find a lot of her short films online in various places and museums and all that jazz. Awesome. Um, So I think that's uh, more or less it, right? Yeah, I think so. (laughs) So uh, if you want to send us, uh, if if you are one of those young queer people that I'm getting mad at, feel free to send us an email. Um, Our email address is foragoodtimepod at gmail.com. And our Twitter address is foragoodtimepod on Twitter. And that's how Twitter works. Uh, If you need to get to me (laughs) particularly... Uh, my main Twitter is at Space Jam Fan, and my Not Safe for Work Twitter is at Enyon's Girl Dick. What about you, Juan? 
Um, you can also find me on Twitter at Whoa, it's Juanito, W-O-A-H, not W-H-O-A, which is a fake spelling of the word and I refuse to acknowledge its existence. You can also find my writing at flamingclassics.com where I program queer films and at Miami New Times and at Dim the House Lights and hyperallergic and other places. I'm so bad at plugging myself. Have a <laughs> lovely day. <laughs> I'm really great at plugging myself. But I'm but I'm uh, anyways, until next time, this has been for a good time call. Thanks for calling. <laughs>